going to be in Matthew as we continue our journey through, beginning in Matthew 25, if you want to turn there, getting into some really good, meaty texts. Not that we haven't been, but I think you'll see um, the Lord in unique ways as we go through these. Let me tell you a story before we read the text. So back in 2020, um, we, we go on a summer trip each year with Laura's family. And I don't know if you guys remember 2020. It was a, a strange year. And um, we typically go to the beaches in Delaware. And this year we found out that the beaches, you had to wear masks. You had to maintain social distancing. They had limited numbers of people allowed on the beaches. A little pool in our community that we rent was closed. And after living in this particular part of Pennsylvania, Laura and I decided with her family, we're not doing that. And so what we did is we went to West Virginia, Mountain High. There's a resort in West Virginia we went to. And there was no restrictions of any type in West Virginia. Maybe too soon, maybe not. I don't care. It ties into the text, so bear with me. We got to the resort, and it was like we had gone to a different world. People were congregating and talking and laughing and playing and hugging and we went to this pool, it's a giant pool, and I mean, I don't even know how many people were in this pool. It could have been thousands, and I'm not exaggerating. It had moon bounces and climbing walls and spray areas and deep swimming areas, and, and we got there, and it was a little unsettling at first because you're like, wait, wait, wait. For months and months and months, we've been living rubber-gloved and goggled and masks and hidden and social distance and dots on the floor and one-way grocery store aisles, and we're all going to die, and... Now, all of a sudden, it's like, what's going on here? It was magnificent. I just wanted to share that. Let's look at our text now. I don't know what the tie-in is. We live in a world of fear and terror and worry and anxiety. I don't know if you know this, but there could be an escaped convict hiding in your backyard. Stock market can totally crash and you can lose all your money. Global warming, for those of you with beachfront property, say bye-bye. Hang in there, because it's going to freeze over in 50 more years. You know, there's a new disease out there called Pandemic X, or Disease X. It's 20 times deadlier than COVID. Measles outbreak at Dulles. If you've been down to D.C., you're probably going to die of measles. RSV is going crazy. Your bodies are falling apart. The country's going to break out in civil war, and we're all going to die from those plastic water bottles. Have you ever noticed this was the news yesterday? If we're not careful, we tend to forget that we are a people of a different kingdom, a people who serve a different king, and we're commanded by our king. Therefore, I tell you, says the Lord, you ready for this? Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But... 
If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will not much more, he much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore... Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Don't miss how strange the command is. Who here wakes up in the morning and goes, I want to be anxious? I'm not supposed to? Oh, bummer, man. This anxious thing is awesome and we're supposed to not. So here's the thing. Stop. Don't be anxious. Again, it's a silly command because if you're anxious and you're commanded not to be anxious, what are you going to be? Anxious that you're anxious. It's when the doctor says to the anxious person, you know, being anxious can cause long-term health issues. Well, gee, thanks. I didn't know about that to worry about. What's our Lord doing here? How are we to pull this off? How does this relate to the gospel? It relates this way. COVID hysteria was caused by trusting, ready for this, the science. Definite article is a big difference in science. Lived hysteria in the world is trusting self and stuff. Do you remember our previous two texts? Joy is trusting God. So when we start with this, therefore, remember everything Jesus has been telling us before. We've seen in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus arrived and said what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 5, 2 through 11, Jesus tells us what citizens of the kingdom of heaven are like by new nature in Christ. Matthew 5, 17 and following is how we as believers, we as citizens of the kingdom of heaven are to live. Our Lord is instructing us in how to live. So stick with me here. In our text, we are seeing that we are freed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And we have no need to be anxious if we understand who God is and who we are in Christ. So let's start with a really easy question. What does anxious mean? What is anxiety? It's a weird term, right? You guys ever watched the movie Jaws? Best explanation I ever heard. Right? It's living life with the theme music of Jaws in the background while you're always looking for the fin, real or imagined. You ever think of it that way? You ever feel that way in life? Bottom, 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 bottom. Fill in your fin. Anxiety is being on alert for a threat, real or imagined, in a way that doesn't lead to resting in and enjoying God. Physically, we get a fight or a flight response. Philosophically, it's a failure to understand purpose. Listen to that carefully. When you go through life and can't understand the purpose for what's going on in life, circumstances of life, the world around you, you have anxiety because you're missing the reality of who God is and who you are in him. Anxiety manifests itself in all sorts of different ways. Sometimes anger, sometimes apathy, sometimes fill in the blank, anywhere in between. But every one of us are anxious people. 
We deal with our anxiety by drink, drug, distraction, denying, ignoring, apathy, entertainment, or on and on and on. We trust in ourselves. We trust in our things. We try to grab for an illusion of control. But here's the thing. You have no control, and it's the most unsettling thing you'll ever experience in the flesh. Anxiety runs rampant because we want to be God. Do you ever think of that? We want to be in control of everything. And when we realize we have no control over something, we become anxious. Y'all tracking with me? I got to make sure you're with me. Anxiety is based on a desire to have control for ourselves that is God's alone and a failure to trust him as a perfect heavenly father. So what Jesus is saying is, if you understand who you are and who God is, you would never be anxious about anything. We're not going to get fully there on this side of glory, but my friends, we live in a world of terror and hysteria, and we believe the lies. You are going to die. You know when you're going to die? On the day God ordains you to die. It doesn't mean you don't steward your body. It doesn't mean you don't take care of yourself. But don't take care of yourself thinking that you're going to add an hour to your day. Did you see the text? What, what does it say here? Yet I, we're dealing with the, the worry. Jesus says, verse 27, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour or span to his life? We live as if we have the power of God to control life. Do you ever... You ever you're going to die the day God has decreed you to die, and you can't change it. But if you're in Christ, you're never going to really die. You're going to live. So what are you anxious about? If you lose your job, side note, God wasn't surprised. God knew, God ordained, God decreed that you would lose your job, Romans 8, for your good and his glory. So what are you anxious about? Listen, I'm totally hypocritical here because I can specialize in this stuff. But our Lord is telling us something magnificent. He's reminding us of what we are. Do you know what we are? We are not kings. We are stewards. We are, we, stu we are the people of God. Amen. We are saved to steward God's stuff according to God's word for God's glory. You tracking with me? If I asked you, what is your net worth? You're going to give me the wrong answer if you know. If I asked you what net worth has the Lord entrusted to you of his, there's a better answer. If I ask if you own a house, you're going to give me the wrong answer. If I ask if you live in a house the Lord has provided to you that he owns, now you got the right answer. Watch this. If your house burns down, here's some good news. It's God's problem, not yours. It was his house in the first place. Now, if you burn it down, that's a different thing that I'm talking about. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Your possessions, you, you, you own nothing. In fact, you came into this world with more than you'll leave the world with. Did you know that? Because you came in with a body, you're going out without the body. you got to wait. <laughs> we own nothing, and there's a freedom in owning nothing but stewarding what the Lord entrusts to us. We're anxious because we grab on to the stuff we're called to steward as if we own it, and then through it, we have joy. The Lord says, slow down. You are Joseph, not Pharaoh. You remember Joseph and Pharaoh in Genesis uh, 41? 
Joseph had some power, amen? Of all the people in the land, Joseph was the most powerful with the exception of? Pharaoh. He had the ring. He was a steward. He was the prime minister. He was a co-regent in a very real sense. And nothing happened without Joseph saying go or no. But Pharaoh owned it all. Joseph gave an account to Pharaoh. As image bearers, we are the pinnacle of creation, but we are not kings. We will rule and reign with Christ, but we will rule and reign under Christ. And we are called to take dominion over the earth, but it's the Lord's earth that we co-rule with him, if you will, in an inferior way, as he calls us to. Enormous responsibility we have in Christ, even outside of Christ as people, more so in Christ. But we're reigning over God's stuff he entrusted to us in God's way. And when we deviate from that, we are riddled with anxiety when we lose the illusion of control. So what do we do? I don't know, but you better figure it out. Because if you don't figure it out, you're going to be really anxious. And you're going to really miss out on joy. And it's really going to stink. So, I mean, one option is to go with, with the world's approach, drunk, drink, dis- drunk, drink, drug, distraction, deny, ignore, apathy, entertainment, acquire, fill in the blank. I mean, it works for a while, amen, Till it doesn't. You, you've seen some happy lost people, right? What happens with believers is we lose the comforting lies, but we don't ever really robustly replace them with the truth. Here's the truth. Oh, you of little faith. How's Jesus saying that? Oh, you of little faith, pathetic, disturbing people of mine. How could you deny me and let me down so? Oh, I'm so, you failures. Saved by grace, living pathetically. Is that how we're supposed to read that? No. Oh, you of little faith. What do you have? A little bit of what? A little bit of what? Saving faith. You, you, you got faith. You're a new creation in Christ. Oh, you guys don't know who you are or what you have. What is faith? It's a girl's name. What is faith? Well, you got to have faith. What, what is faith? Help me out or I'll keep singing. Faith. It's a gift from God. It's believing in Jesus. It's believing in the things to come. How how about this? Right seeing and right thinking. You ever think of faith that way? Right seeing and right thinking. I need you to hear this. This It's a whole sermon in a nutshell. As believers, this is what we do most of the time. Contrary to all evidence, we doubt God and trust ourselves. Faith is doubting yourself and trusting God. Do you understand what I mean when I say that, functionally how that plays out? You doubt God and trust yourself. You live pragmatically. You take a little scripture and you apply it how you like. You you use others. You use self. You create a new identity for yourself. And you, you don't have a joyful disposition of how wickedly sinful am I in the flesh? How totally foolish am I in my ways? And How do I live in a way to know God's will and walk in it for his joy? We were talking Thursday. Glenda brought up a great question. How do you know know God's will? And I've been chewing on that. The the foundation of knowing God's will is this. Do you really want to know his will? Because I think most of us want to know his will when it relates to benefiting us. 
Because we're enamored with the concept of Jesus, but we're not infatuated with loving the person of Jesus. So do you really want to know his will? And why do you want to know his will? Are you desperate to know his will so you can enjoy God, understanding you are totally dependent upon him for everything in life? Or do you want to know his will to have your best life now? Do you want to know his will so it works out better for you? See, there's a wrestle with here, and what Jesus is saying is, oh, you of little faith, you're saved, you're mine. He's talking to kingdom people. But what would it look like to start doubting yourself? What would it look like to not do something unless you knew it's what God would want you to do as opposed to doing something and assuming God will correct you if it's not what he wants you to do? I don't mean in a crippling way, but slow down and think of this. You're probably wrong is a good starting place. You're probably wrong in what you want, what you think, and what you're going to do. What if you lived in such a way that others could know you well enough that they would be able to communicate with you I'm not so sure you're right seeing and right thinking on this one. Not in a malicious way, because in order to do this, watch this for next week. Judge not that you be not judged. This is talking about condemning. And in the flesh, we're really good at this. <laughs> Y'all are pretty dumb and pathetic. I mean, I'm, I'm really not as dumb and pathetic as you are. So if you want some good advice, ask me. Eh, I think you're missing Matthew 7. Matthew 7 gets us to the point of we're blind beggars leading other blind beggars by grace through faith to a table with some food. We're not particularly impressive people, but we have an incredibly impressive Savior. And so what would happen if we slowed down and thought, Lord, I'm pretty sure I've been messing stuff up for a long, long time. Thank you that you love me, even though I continually mess up and sin by commission or omission, and you can Google what those words like, or maybe use DuckDuckGo, depending on, anyway. <laughs> you can Google commission and omission. I'm more interested, Lord, in you doing my will than me doing your will. But I'm amazed by the grace you show that you forgive me and you love me and you accept me and you don't distance relationally from me because of my sinfulness. Help me, O oh Lord. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. See, yeah, David was a wicked, adulterous sinner. But guys, we commit spiritual adultery 15 times a day. It's our psalm too. And as we see the grace of God and the love of God and the wisdom of God and the providence of God, all of a sudden we begin by the power of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us to desire to walk in God's will because we're utterly and totally dependent upon him. We'll talk about this in Sunday school, but remember the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Ha! Like, I'm set. I'm trying to choose what I want for lunch amongst options. And if I don't have the right option at home, I got DoorDash. I don't know how it works, but my kids can make it work. I'm not worried about daily bread. I'm worried about daily choices of different types of bread. Amen? I mean, who here is not absolutely certain you're waking up tomorrow? Ooh, ooh. Ooh, right, you see the balance here? What is your plan for five years down the road? Ooh, careful. Now, I'm not saying don't plan. We're called to plan and prepare, but we're called to plan and prepare as the Lord calls us to. We'll get into this moving forward. Faith enables us to see God for who he truly is. Yet we tend to assume God as we want him to be. Faith enables us to see ourselves for who we truly are. Let me ask it this way.
How much time did you spend this week noticing sin in your life, repenting of sin in your life, and seeking counsel to flee sin in your life? Verse, how much time did you spend noticing sin in the lives of others? You ever chew on that? And I maybe not even in the church. I mean, when you're driving to church, that sinner who cuts you off, that sinful garbage and trash removal company that didn't show up at all this week. What is wrong with them? The sinful wind that blows snow, the, the sinful politician that spoke on my TV, the sinful doctor that made me wait seven minutes for my appointment. <laughs> you got bigger sinners you notice? We'll talk. Why do we notice sin in others so robustly, but not in ourselves? Why does it grieve us when others sin against us, but not when we sin against one another? And these are the ones to notice. How about this? Faith enables us to see things for what they truly are. People, possessions, and abilities. Faith enables us to see, rounding this out, others for who and what they truly are. I'm reading a book. We may use it for Sunday school. I can't give you the title because it'll confuse you off the bat here. But do you understand why there are other people in the church? They exist as a nuisance to you to help refine your faith. They're examples of what you would be if you weren't as mature as you are. Amen? Why are there other people in the church? Because that's what a church is. It's a collection of people that the Lord brings together by grace through faith to build up one another in the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's not able to be done in human power. These people are here because you need them and they need you, and you might not like them, but you're called to love them and grow in your likeness for them, and the Holy Spirit will enable that. Faith enables that. Try to do church without faith, and you got clicks and irritants and hop-arounds till you find a church that you like in the flesh. Think of the list, when, if you like, of the things you wish people would do differently here. Now think of the list of things that you can glorify God by seeing his hand at work in the lives of others, both individually and corporately. When you pray, when you live, are you able to pray in such a way that you're able to see God's work in the lives of one another? Or do you look at one another in such a way of, look, at your deficiency. Someone doesn't show up today. Is your first thought lazy? Someone shows up 10 minutes late, is your thought, huh, look at them 10 minutes late? Or is your first thought, praise God, they showed up. I wonder what's going on with so-and-so, I should check in with them. We, we, we tend to view life through the wrong lens, and it's not the lens of faith, it's the lens of the flesh, and I'm talking to the people of God, and this is why we're riddled with anxiety. I got news for you, if we wake up Monday and the stock market drops 1,500 points, the world will freak out. Can I tell you something, brothers and sisters in Christ? In the flesh, you will want to freak out, depending upon your age, right? If you're in your 40s or 50s, you might recoup it. If you're in your late 70s or 80s, good luck. I hope you liquidated your stuff before the crash. But if you're walking in Christ, if you're living by faith, you're able to go, it's okay, if the mountain should fall into the heart of the sea or the market should lose 30% of its value, we're going to be okay. How? We're going to be okay. How? We're going to be okay. But how are we going to be okay? Ease back on the control grab. We're going to be okay because God is sovereign. We're able to not be anxious about life, what we will eat, 
what we will drink, what we will put on. You want me to put it differently? You don't have to worry about selling your house or buying a house if you don't own a house. Why? I don't know, because Jesus says so. You don't have to be worried about your job, keeping your job, losing your job, or getting a new job. Why? Because Jesus says so. Now, don't misunderstand. There is human responsibility, but there's also overextending. You don't need to worry about your provision. Why? Because Jesus says you don't need to worry about anything. If God feeds the birds, how much more will he feed the pinnacle of creation? If God dresses up the flowers at Longwood so purdy, what are we concerned about? So what are we concerned about? How do we unpack this? We live for our own glory. We live for our name to be hallowed. Think about it. If someone comes up to you and says, you are stupid, ugly, and annoying, how would you respond? Don't give me the churchy answer. How would you respond? Oh, yeah? Well, you are stupider, uglier, and more annoying, and I know other people agree with me. Amen? What if your answer was this? You're right. I am stupid. I am ugly and I am annoying. I'm so stupid, I think I can navigate life according to my own wisdom and I try it all the time. I'm so ugly because I sin constantly. I don't even notice I sin, I'm so, so good at it. And I'm annoying, oh my goodness, I'm sure I am annoying because I'm so self-centered. Thank you for pointing those things out to me. I'm so thankful the Lord has saved me by grace through faith. Could you help me in Christ to not be so stupid, so ugly, and so annoying? Why is that not our first reaction? Because we're glory hounds. We're focused on hallowing our name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Because God takes ugly, ignorant, stupid people and beautifies them in his power for his glory corporately in the church to put us on display. Now, don't try this out downstairs in Sunday school, amen? Hey, John Calcaterra, good morning. You sure are ugly. Yeah, there's truth in the old song. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, you know, you know what you do? Never make a pretty woman your wife. You know, biblically, here's why. If you get a wife, not who looks ugly, but spiritually who understands her ugliness, she is going to help you as her spouse see how ugly you are, but how beautiful Christ is. We're a collection of spiritually or fleshly ugly people being made spiritually beautiful, but what we try to do is live like the world is glory hounds seeking to hallow our name. We serve our stuff. You know the expression, the almighty dollar? Mm, doesn't that kind of sound weird? It, on our currency, it says, in God we trust. And on our God, it says, in our currency we trust. What if we slowed down and stewarded God's stuff as opposed to try to use it as our stuff? We want people to serve us. We are saved to seek the interests of others ahead of ourselves. Think about how easy it is to notice the deficiencies of one another where they fail to serve you as you believe they should. 
why are you more concerned about that than where you're failing to serve others in light of how Christ served you? Because you're not walking by faith, you're walking by sight, you're walking in the flesh. And our Lord is being so gracious to us here in saying this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, remember the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? There are so many different ways to articulate the gospel, but one way is this. We are new creations in Christ. Colossians, we have been saved from the domain of darkness and rescued to the kingdom of God's beloved son. We are created with a new nature. We are, a, we are children of a perfect heavenly father. And his commission to us in the gospel is this. The Lord says to us, you be attentive to doing my will, and I will be attentive to looking out for everything in your life. How freeing is that? Our job is to rejoice in focusing on doing the Lord's will as we rest in the reality that God will look out for all of our affairs. Could you imagine navigating life as if that were actually true? So our Lord says, do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Side note, that peace of God isn't some ephemeral feeling of like, ooh, ooh. No, it's a certainty of positional peace with God. Here's the kicker. Our lives in Christ should have no anxiety because anxiety is simply a rationality. It's an irrationality of feeling like we know better than God. It's a desire to have control that is not our control. And you got to feel the rub here. Don't, don't act like you're supposed to say, okay, I'm, I'm gung-ho good with it. Trust it. No, you're not going to trust God particularly well at all. But he's not going to fail you ever no matter what. But listen to this. Look at the evidence. Look back over however many years you've lived. Where has God let you down? Where has God gone against his word? Or where has God failed to provide what you needed? I just need one example and, and we can, shall we wait? Now let's try this one. Where have you been off in your assumptions? Where have you been off in your approach to life? Where, where have you gone by your wisdom and it hasn't worked out well. Now, we don't have time for all the examples, amen? amen? So why do we keep doing that? It is the insanity of the flesh that, that rears in us all the time. And the Lord says to us this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What are all these things? The things that Gentiles seek after. Y'all, I've never seen someone come to church naked. We all got clothes, right? Anybody here need food? The Lord's provided it downstairs. We, we got all that we need. Now you may say, well, I don't own the house I want. Listen, we can provide shelter. We got people here with extra bedrooms, amen? The Lord clothes dresses and feeds his people. Now in the back of my, my, our minds, we go like this. Yeah, well, what about, what a, hold on, pastor. What about somewhere outside Timbuktu? I know a story someone told me who told them, who told them of a mailman's missionary's third cousin's friend. Listen to this one. 
There was a believer who starved to death because God didn't provide the food for him. How do you explain that one, pastor? I said, come on now. I said, tell me about something you know straight up up front. Where has the Lord ever failed to provide for you? Where has the Lord ever let you down? Our job is to trust and obey God with joy. When we seek to know the will of God, we tend to be way out here. Like, all right, so God, I'm praying for your will. I bought my fourth vacation home. And I'm redoing the third bedroom in the basement on the left-hand side. And I really want to do your will on the fixtures in the bathroom faucet. So would you prefer I go with the gold faucets or the platinum faucets? Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Well, I'm not saying you shouldn't have four homes in platinum or gold faucets. I'm not even going to touch that point. But we tend to seek God's will when we're so far down me lane that we, we don't want to back it up. What if we understood this is what we're after? Don't so much go for the will of God as knowing the person of God, because when you know the person of God and who you truly are, you'll find yourself drawn by the Spirit to walking in his will more and more day by day. Trust God with joy. Steward the things that are God's that he's entrusted to you. Live a quiet and godly life, seeking the interests of others ahead of your own. I mean, start there with the will of God. Quit fighting for yourself. Quit advocating for yourself. Let God advocate for you. Look out for other people, knowing that God is the one who will ultimately look out for you. Focus on the king's business, knowing that the king is focused on the business of his people, and he has tied his glory to us. He's not going to mess you up. He's going to build you up because he loves you immensely. I started here, we'll end here. That trip to West Virginia was magnificent. I don't know about your experience in 2020, but like, I couldn't even go to Wegmans. I felt like I was living in a sci-fi movie. People were so far apart from each other, and, and they were like triple masking, and, and, and the, the, the aisles were like one way, and if you went the wrong way in an aisle, people would start screaming at you. I had a lady cussing me out. On the back of my property in COVID, walking, it was the crazy. People were losing their minds. I got lose my mind stories mixed in there. Don't misunderstand. But that breath of fresh air in West Virginia. I remember getting there. My little nephew ran up to me to give me a big old hug. And in the back of my mind is this thought. Ooh. I thought, oh, that's ridiculous. You give a person a hug. You, you, you talk to people. You know what was really cool? Interacting with strangers. And not thinking about the fact you may die in 48 hours. You ever see the movie Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman? Life felt like Outbreak. It was a good movie until we were living in the midst of it. But then I went to West Virginia. And it was like, Outbreak isn't really happening here. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the world is terrified. But we are not citizens of this world. But we believe the terror of the world because we marinated it all the time. Here's the thing. We freak each other out. Do you ever notice how we speak to one another in the church? We have pharmacological reports more than spiritual progress reports. Well, I found out about this new bone degenerative thing in my hip, and I'm going to be in pain. And then you tell me that, then my hip starts feeling funky. And then I start wondering, you know, forget God. I want to know how to stop the hip pain. Because if my hip hurts, life's miserable for everybody in my house. 
did you hear what's happening in, in Uganda? <gasps> what's happening in Uganda? Something bad, I'm sure. Oh my goodness, my Aunt Sally called and she's dying of cholera. I don't even know what cholera is, but I know I don't want cholera. Do you know what we don't do? We don't remind people that the Lord rules and reigns. If your hip is degenerating, praise God that you're getting a new hip. Praise God that we got doctors. But don't focus so much on your hip, A, for your well-being, because God is sovereign, and B, don't freak other people out. We're all in the same boat. We are terrified that things are going to fall apart. You ever live with that feeling, waiting for the other shoe to drop? Can I tell you a secret? It dropped on cavalry. The shoe dropped. It went thud and crushed. And our Lord rose from the grave. Jesus is telling us as his people, you don't need to live with a fear of the other shoe dropping. It dropped. It's done. In this world, you'll have trouble. Take heart. I've overcome the world. The Lord says to us, trust the king and enjoy him forever. Here's our battle with one another. Where are you walking by sight and not faith? Here's the kicker. You can't see 99% of it on your own. And the tricky part too in your own family unit, y'all got the same distorted vision. Do you ever notice that? You, if you're married more than a little bit, you and your spouse are really good at, at melding into similar blind spots. So careful with this. But by God's grace in the household of God, what would happen if we didn't live by fear, but live by faith? And we do it in little ways. When, when do you have concern over someone, but you don't want to engage with them because you're afraid if you engage with them of how they might respond? Where do you have a, a, a need, a, a desire for help, but you're afraid to go to someone because if you go to someone, what if they don't respond in the best possible way? What if they laugh in your face? Ha ha, look at you, pathetic, as if that's going to happen. But we live with this fear. We can't give to God of our time, talent, and treasure because who knows what the future has in store? You know the answer to that question? God does. What would happen? If we heard the words of our Lord, who said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we understood by grace through faith we had repented. And what if we heard the words of our Lord going back here in Matthew 5, verse 2 and following, where he's saying to us, not be like this, but this is what you're like. Fight to cultivate this. And what if we heard his instructions for life and we understood that we have no ability to navigate life in our own wisdom, even though it seems like we do in the ways of the world, and we rested in God's wisdom in ways so that we could not only enjoy him, but live in an anxious world as confident people in Christ. Now listen to the text again and we'll close. Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. We got any bird watchers in here? Maybe you should take up bird watching. Look at the birds of the air. The word means ponder and consider. Do you ever ponder and consider a bird? Do you know their bones are hollow? You know why their bones are hollow? God made them that way. They fly. How long did it take people to figure out how to fly? 
Yeah, we, we got the Wright brothers. They got their little dinghy a couple feet off the ground for 50 feet. Now, pretty quick, we got a little higher off the ground, and then we can go to the moon. But how long did it take people to figure out how to fly? How long does it take a bird to figure out how to fly? I mean, like a quick minute, they eat a worm and off they go. They flat. I mean, do you see the intricacy of the wing strut? Anyway, ponder the birds. Look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap. There's no bird Costco. They don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a span to his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Go to Longwood. Look at the flowers. Don't go beautiful flowers. That's okay. Don't stop. Beautiful flowers. Go, God made those things so intricately pretty and colorful and magnificent. What am I? Who am I? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. Spurgeon quote, and off we go. Of all the self-torture, that of importing future trouble into present account is perhaps the most insane. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to be able to get a glimpse, Lord God, of who you truly are. Help us to see ourselves for who and what we are in you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we're really good at polishing up and packing down our anxiety so other people can't see it. But we are riddled with it inside. We are terrified about what the future has in store. We cannot stand not having control over everything. Lord, help us. It is downright terrifying to realize we have no control over anything if we can't land that well and round that off with the fact that you have all power. Lord Jesus, you tell us in the text that our Heavenly Father knows what we need. Help us to trust our Heavenly Father as who he says he is and will provide for all of our needs in Christ Jesus. Back in verse 8, Lord God, we are told that you know what we're going to ask before we ask. You know what we need before we know we need it. Mm. Lord, help us to slow down and marvel at your wisdom, your power, and your love. Help us to live our lives before one another so that we can be cared for by one another as we make ourselves known to one another. For Lord, even in that context, we are quite confident that we don't need others to bear our burden. Even though you say bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Lord, we respond to you. I need no man to bear my burdens for I can do it fine. Forgive us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Allow us to hear this command for what it is, just like every other command you give your people. Not a demand that we are to keep or you will harm us, but an invitation to joy and delight that you, by your spirit, will cause us to keep in increasing measure. Lord, forgive us 
for our irrational anxieties and help us, a people of little faith, to grow into a people of big faith for your glory, the good of our brothers and sisters, and the joy you have saved us to enjoy. We ask these things in your precious and holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.